Jana Spangler, Anthony Miller, welcome back to the Almost Awakened podcast. How are you guys today? Great. Excellent. Happy to be here. Good, good. Same. So here we are. This is episode number six for us. We are focusing on presentation number six of Jack Cornfield and uh, his Buddhism for Beginners. And I was telling you guys before we started recording, I thought this was going to be a simple one. The topic is karma. I'd listened to this a few times before. And now listening this time, knowing that I was going to uh, facilitate a discussion with, with the both of you and to talk about karma, I went back and listened to it kind of with new ears. And there was so much here. And uh, so I guess the, probably where we should start is the idea that I think a lot of people have about karma. Uh, do one of you kind of feel comfortable explaining what kind of the non-informed view of karma is and, and maybe how that is uh, not that not real and maybe more of a myth than what karma really actually is, if that makes sense. Um, well, I'll take a stab at what I think you're pointing to. Um, and, and I'll say that I think that um, it's not entirely a myth. There are pieces of this. If, if you're looking at a more dogmatic look at um, karma from Hinduism or Buddhism as, as in, you know, you have a balance sheet in life and you do so many good things and you do so many bad things. And then this determines what happens to you in reincarnation um, of where, where you're going to be in the next life. Um, I think that that's more probably the way that a lot of us are trained to think about it, of what karma is. It's if I do something good, then something good will happen to me. And it's, it's, it's the version of, you know, in the West, we have the vending machine God, where if we do all the good things, then good things will happen to us. And then we're all dismayed when life just happens to us and um, have all kinds of existential crises <laughs> over those kinds of things. But <clears throat> I love the way that, that Jack talked about this. It's, it's almost more of a psychological view of karma, which is that um, the the thoughts that we inhabit, the way that we interpret the world, the the things that we do in the world, the way that uh, the way that we speak to other people in the world, the actions that we do, they create kind of a pattern within us that um, looks for the good that. Um, that invites good things into our lives, it invites good relationship, it invites good reactions from other people, and that um, it's almost what we become and how we inhabit our world as an idea of karma, rather than just every action has its uh, its reaction. There's also an idea of cause and effect. I mean, this is this is something that's it, that's it's testable. It's not just something we have to believe. Well, if you do good things, you're going to get good things. It's more of a testable kind of a phenomenon where if I, you know, show up in this way with a good intention with someone, um, let's see what happens when I'm more open and listening rather than trying to prove I'm right or, you know, interested in upholding my ego needs. <laughs> but yeah. it's a testable phenomenon. Yeah, I love it. Anthony, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, there's the oversimplified transactional idea of what goes around comes around. And that somehow there's a sense of justice in things that I think is a Western thought over very much an oversimplification of what Jack is presenting here in terms of karma. And, and, and that oversimplification misses the mindfulness component of it, uh, of our state of mind, of our increased capacity to respond to things instead of react to things. 
Um, uh, so it goes so much deeper. And I had a similar experience with this session. I had already listened to it a couple times, and it, it was really insightful in my view because it goes so much far beyond the transactional what goes around comes around type of sense of what karma is that's just a very very much an oversimplification of things yeah he uh he talks about he kind of puts karma into these three categories he he called one causative he called one sustaining and the other one uh, counteractive. He had a fourth one. He had so he had causative, sustaining, counteractive, and destructive. So that oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Let's start off with causative, mm-hmm. and this seems like essentially kind of having that positive intent in the world. Um, would you define it any further than that? What other things would you say about causative? I feel like the causative is kind of a it's a creative energy. It's what we are creating in the world. What are we trying to build? Um, and, you know, one of the things that I like about the way Jack presents this is his, he talks about how karma is not linear. It is, it is very complex. And so these are, this is kind of a way to organize it, these four ways to organize the way we think about karma, but just recognizing that there's so many different ways that these forces show up. So that, that causative to me is, what am I building? What am I creating? What am I putting out in the world? What is new that is just really being generated by me? Love it. Love it. Um, when he mentions sustaining, sustaining seemed to me to be kind of the other things around you that are just naturally ebbing and flowing and whatever they're doing. So if you're a salmon in the stream and you've got access to the water you're in, the water is this sustaining um, karma. And uh, if the planet changes and suddenly that stream is dried up, you know, in 10 years, then now something different is going on. Um, and it, anything you guys want to say about that one beyond that? Yeah, I mean, it's just picking up the the things that are already moving in the world. So less of just a, a new creation, but sustaining what is there and helping it along and doing no harm, but just doing what we can to keep the good we see in flow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it ties back to this idea of mindfulness, uh, of increasing our capacity to live with intention to respond rather than react to things, um, and and creating that habit over time to recognize and be mindful of the seeds that we're planting now, uh, and that over time that creates a sustaining karma um, with our thoughts, uh, with our speech, with our actions in our everyday lives. Um, we create this habit and pattern of of planting things that you know growing he he talks about when he talks about karma he he gives an example he says if you plant you know the seed for a peach tree you're not going to grow an apple tree eventually something will come out that maybe looks like a peach tree maybe it will be a peach tree um and and with that ongoing intention of what we do uh is going to create a sustaining level of karma or experience of karma in our lives. Okay. And then the, uh, the last one kind of, or the second to last one, sorry, counteractive. Um, in my mind, it's this idea of when you're, when you're not in, in wisdom mind and you're other things, you're distracted, you're, um, you, you feel fear, you're 
extremely nervous and perceiving that kind of in a negative way rather than his excitement. And, and again, those things probably have a positive place too, where they are the right thing to feel at that time. But when you should be focused in other places or other things should be occupying your present mind, and instead you're lost in uh, past or future or um, distracted in some way and not being present, essentially you're stalling out, you're causing karma that could um, essentially keep you from having other good things in your life. And, and so I, I pick that up, but I think it goes beyond that too. Uh, any other thoughts from you guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of these forces, and I kind of do lump three and four together. There's, I think they're just maybe, a, I think the energy is the same. It's just maybe a matter of degree between what is counteractive and what is destructive. But these are the forces that impede us. So like you're saying, it's the reactions, it's the, it's the if we're not mindful, it's um you know, the destructive forces, the, the anger, the hatred, the other things that, that crop up to um, to stop that thing that we're trying to cultivate that is beautiful. In yeah, I think lives. he named so greed as one of them, too. Mm-hmm. Greed, like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, a, a, there's a whole list of those. And I, and I think we, I see this in myself. I see this in myself at times. I mean, there are times when I'm having a hard day with whatever's going on. I've got a lot going on. I'm stressed. I'm not... Uh, I, I don't have as much access to my mindfulness and I'm just trying to get through. Um, and, you know, my kids could be doing exactly the same thing on a day like that than a day when I'm calm and my reaction is going to be completely different. And what I, what I bring to that situation is an example of karma. If I come, if I, if I'm short with them and yelling, they're going to, they're going to be in a bad mood. They're going to bring it back to me. They're going to bring attitude. Um, and if I, but if I'm able to be calm, then, and I'm not as stressed and I'm more in my mindful place, then I can respond very differently. And what I'm cultivating or sustaining and or creating there, it can be very different. So it's, a, it's an example of how we bring those forces in our, into our lives and we actually cultivate things with that karma. Yeah, he yeah. talks. He talks about the the method which which we operate in terms of our intention. Is our intention caring or concerned for others? Is our intention more defensive, um, or you know, are we? Is our intention to learn and understand to approach things with openness and kindness? Um, so, how we react to things that happen um, requires a mindfulness in order to to put into practice the things that he's talking about. He gives an example of, of smoking. So if a person decides they want to quit smoking, you know, then they think about it, maybe they make a goal and then they have a really nice dinner. If they're not being mindful, if they haven't, you know, if they're not present in the moment, if they're not aware, they recognize their habit that after the really nice dinner, they reach over to that box of cigarettes because that's their habit that they do. And they pick up their cigarette and they start smoking, um, which is more of a reaction to stimulus as opposed to a, a choice or a response to what's happening. And so the practice of mindfulness increases our power uh, to give us freedom of choice of a response um, and he also talks about, with regard to counteractive uh, karma, he, he talks about the need for forgiveness or grace, um, that to live with a free heart, uh, a great measure of 
living with a free heart requires forgiveness to let go of the transactional idea of Western thought and to hold just hold grace for other people um, and to approach life with uh, a sense of empathy and grace uh, for others, recognizing that some other people are not, they're operating with dysfunction in their life. They're and and to recognize what what are some of the reasons that they might do that um, that helps us to uh, have mindfulness practices that relate to what he's talking about here. I love it. Uh, he uses this other analogy where he talks about this the surgeon and the killer, right? Like the the killer thrusts the knife in um, and the person dies, and the physician uh, thrusts his knife in. Um, trying to save a life, trying to do good in the world, trying to help somebody uh, be better from whatever whatever harm they were in the way of. And uh, this person still dies. And yet he says, intention makes all the difference in the world. And at first, I actually am kind of doubting that. I'm, I'm sitting with that and going like, if I say something to somebody and my motive inside my head is to build them up and they hear it as if I'm trying to tear them down. And somehow I just said it wrong and I offended them. Like the, the, the effect is the same regardless because that person interpreted it. But then he, but he stops me in my tracks and he says, no, that's, it actually does work. And he starts talking about how we speak to each other and the way in which we talk to each other. Um, he gave some examples where he kind of had me have to reset and recognize that it also does work. Um, sometimes we do misunderstand somebody as if they were doing the wrong thing when they were doing the right. And it, and it spirals out in both cases, but also sometimes it, it does make a difference. And, um, I I sense that like this works. Yeah. I think, I think the difference I see in those, in those instances, Bill, like if I'm in an intention and, and, and really, I think sometimes we say things and we, we really don't mean it to be a bad thing and the other person takes it as a bad thing that happens. But if we are, I think a step further into really good intention, my intention in my dealing with this person is to be open and listening. Even if we say things the wrong way and the other person takes some offense, it doesn't go very far. Like how we then react to that is very different. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a tie or an integration when he's talking about intention. I think there's a tie or an integration to what Eckhart Tolle talks about when he talks about ego. Is our intention to, is our intention egocentric? Is it about us? Is, is it about continuing to feed, you know, uh, a, a dysfunction in our lives? Or is our intention tied or integrated into a practice of mindfulness and holding grace and letting go of the hindrances that we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. And so there's a recognition that showing up every day as much as possible in your life, kind of in this wisdom mind and being aware with empathy and kind of understanding of what everyone else around you is going through allows you to kind of show up in, I think, greater kindness and compassion. And it was interesting. I was kind of clapping for myself when it happened because I thought this is going to be a perfect story to share. Um, My wife ordered some new glasses. I got some new glasses last week and hers took a little longer to come in. And uh, so she went in today to get them. And the worker there who's helping us opens the drawer with the letters with R in it for real. And she looks through like the 17 pairs of glasses in that, in that shelf, um, 
10 times. She can't find them. And you can see her starting to get flustered. And I work in a job where sometimes we misalphabetize things too. And I, I recognize that um, the fix here was really simple, which was to let her know that we all go through it. And so I said, let me guess, if your job's anything like mine, then uh, then it's probably an employee who misalphabetized something. And usually at my company, it's me. And it's this self-deprecating humor that allows her to calm down and to sense like, oh, I'm, I don't need to feel any shame. I don't need to feel any kind of pressure. I can just recognize it's not where it's supposed to be. And let's just solve the problem. So she goes over to the computer, she's calmed down and she just figures out it's one shelf over and she finds them. It's those kind of moments that I'm now kind of excited to like be more present and sense like the things that are going on around us and how you can begin to influence the world for good. Um, And you can begin to make drastic differences because it would have been easy for me to be neutral or even frustrated maybe as some of us feel that in those kinds of situations. And instead, um, to kind of, again, move through the world more positively than I would have done maybe 10 years ago. Your guys' thoughts on things like that that show up in your own life. I mean, he talk, he talks about, he gives a couple examples with regard to forgiveness. And, and he says, as we attend to our own karma, there tends to be an effect that connects back to us. That That's what gets oversimplified into the what goes around comes around. It's much deeper than that. But as we as we live with mindfulness and intention and like the example that you gave, there there actually does seem to be some sort of effect that connects back to us. And maybe it's through our own experience. He talks about in the episode that the mind itself is the principal tool of the creation of life. The perception that we have of life and meaning in others is is the creation of the life that we experience. And so Maybe sometimes the effect that connects back to us is just basically that we perceive things in a kinder, more tolerant light, a more graceful light, a more forgiving light. Um, or Which is better for you, right? Healthier yeah. for you, better for you, less stress for you. So even if you're the only person benefiting from your intention, it's still a win. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I think about, um, I think Brene Brown, a lot of her work has has kind of supported this idea. I was thinking about this as I was listening to this portion on forgiveness and and uh, giving other people and ourselves grace. Um, it's one of the biggest connections that Brene found in her research to compassion was our ability to look at other people and to acknowledge that they're doing their very best. And that by and large, most people are doing their best. Even when they don't seem to be doing their best, there's a reason they're not doing their best, something that we are not able to see or to perceive at the, at mm. the moment. And so that's helped me a lot as I consider people in my life. I notice that I get angsty a lot because I'm wanting um, my, my kids, my family, other people around me, I want them to be doing better than they are. Like I, I, I have this perfectionist streak. So I, I do this to myself and I do this to other people around me where, you know, you, 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 you didn't do what you said you were going to do, or you alphabetized the thing wrong, or you, you know, we've got to do better, got to do better. <laughs> That's kind of how I ran yeah. my life for 40 years. We've got to mm-hmm. do better, got to do better, never satisfied. Um, but this idea that other people are doing their best, that there's some piece of their story that I don't know. And often they don't even know. So they're beating themselves up as well because they don't understand why they can't make themselves do the things that they know would maybe give them a better life or better outcomes. Um, So having this idea 
that other people are doing their very best allows our compassion to flow. And it also makes what we do in our lives more realistic. Like it's not going to help my relationship with somebody if I'm always trying to beat them up to do better, if that's not in their wheelhouse to do it. For some reason, they have not yet uncovered. It doesn't do anybody any good. It just creates destruction. It just creates bad feelings. But if I can look at someone and say, they're doing their very best, now maybe I need to give up on the idea that they're going to be there for me in this way. Perhaps I need to just get into deeper acceptance of that. How would that, how does that affect how I deal with this person? You know, when I realize that this is a real limitation, you know, if, if someone had a physical limitation, I wouldn't be beating them up to try to get them to, to do what I wanted them to do if they had some sort of physical disability or something that you could see. But we're all running around with those kinds of, of emotional and mental disabilities um, you know, maybe it's a result of trauma or a result of whatever, a bad day, a result of whatever it is. Um, and so if I can remember that, that people are dealing with so many of their own issues that we can't see, it helps, it completely changes the way I deal with them. Wow. Yeah. So I'd like to make a little bit of a diversion here in terms of what forgiveness means in the idea of uh, the paradigm of Buddhism. And I'd suggest uh, for the listeners, um, episode number 65, titled, What Does It Mean to Forgive? in the Secular Buddhism podcast, episode 65. In that episode, Noah Rochetta talks about how in Western culture, the idea of forgiveness, there's this transactional relationship of you know, mercy and justice and things need to be made right and so forth. And in Buddhism, forgiveness is more about holding, you know, offering grace and having an increased understanding of what's happening. And in that episode, he gives a few examples uh, of forgiveness. Um, One example is uh, a woman when she was in high school, she was bullied really bad by the, the high school bully. And And so she always felt like, you know, for justice to happen, she didn't call it justice, but that he maybe needed to ask for forgiveness for what he did to her over the years. And years later, she was on Facebook and saw that he had come out as gay and that I think he was going to get married or something to his boyfriend. And she had this immediate increase of understanding to realize that he was acting out and bullying based on an experience that he had in high school. And that's why he did it. He wasn't doing it because he was trying to be mean. He was living with pain in his life. And all of a sudden, her experience was an increase of understanding. And this need for him to ask for forgiveness, you know, kind of went away. And the second story that he shared is um, when Noah was, I think, Boy Scout age, young men's age, his youth group, uh, the young men went and uh, they rode on go-karts. And and usually in go-karts, you know, they throttle the, 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 the go-kart so it doesn't drive too fast, you know, so that they're all about the same and that nobody gets hurt. And so he runs out and uh, everybody gets in the go-karts and he ends up in this go-kart that's faster than everybody else's. Like he's lapping people because apparently it hadn't been throttled enough. 
And it, he just had a blast and it was so fun. And they finished running around uh, their laps and they took a break and then they were going to go back out again. And they go running out and his friend goes running out for that one go-kart that he realizes is the fast one. And he kind of pushes his friend aside and his friend ends up in this go-kart that's heavily throttled and super slow and not fun. And Noah gets the one that's fast again and he wins and laps everybody. But then he feels guilty over time and he's carrying this over years and years that like he needs to ask his friend for forgiveness. And so years later, he goes to a wedding and his friend's there. And he says, you know, that thing that happened with the go-karts years and years ago, I'm so sorry, you know, because he'd been carrying this burden, this transactional thing that he felt like he needed to be forgiven. And his friend said, oh, don't worry about it. I totally forgot about that. So all these years he had been carrying that. Uh, and then he had increased understanding. And And then the third example that he gives is sometimes you know, somebody, he gives an example of somebody that does something that hurts somebody else and, and feels sorry about it, and then goes to that person and asks for forgiveness, and then gets upset, because that person isn't in a place in their life or their healing to, to forgive for what that person did. Um, And, and again, it has just this transactional relationship. So I bring up that episode, and I bring up these examples, that when Jack talks about forgiveness, and when we talk about forgiveness in the context of Buddhism, it isn't this Western thought of transactional relationship, where, you know, if you steal shoplift something, it's a misdemeanor, or you have to go to jail for three nights or something like that. It's not this transactional thing. Forgiveness is about an increased understanding. It's about offering grace for others and the place that they're coming from and not carrying around a chip on our shoulder um, and seeking increased understanding. I think you're hitting on something really important, right? So Jack is laying out these um, types of karmas, and then he kind of seems to go somewhere else when he talks about forgiveness. But you're right, Anthony, it's not that at all. I was, As you were talking, it reminded me of a quote, so I went looking for it. Uh, this was uh, attributed to Buddha. To understand everything is to forgive everything. And and it's this idea that once you sit in that wisdom mind and you're showing up in the world with positive uh, intention, where you're trying to build up and to make the world a better place, uh, and you're trying to sense everyone else around you, forgiveness makes perfect sense. Because once you understand, you make space that that person, as Jana was pointing to, is doing the thing they're doing because it's the only thing they could have done in that moment. Like whatever harm they cause, even if intentional, was the best they had in that moment. And once you can understand where pe- that all human beings are coming from that place, then suddenly you go like, oh, like um, they made a mistake that hurt me, but hell, like I make mistakes too. And my mistakes sometimes hurt people. Huh. And, and you suddenly do have room to just let humanity be. And so you don't need someone to say they're sorry. You don't need someone to, to do some kind of formulas you're pointing to. It's it's just that understanding all of a sudden allows us just to see eye to eye and see the humanity of another human being and to just as you guys are both saying make grace make their make their space for for this stuff not to go right and and in that and in that way it is no different than causative uh, karma. Yeah, listening to this episode, I couldn't help but think of the book The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, 
they the four agreements fit so beautifully in with this idea of karma. Um, and so for anyone who hasn't read that book, I highly recommend going to it. There's a lot of, it's one of those books I read every couple of years and find something brand new in it every single time. Um, because I'm different. And as I'm different, I see different things in it. But it talks a lot about this, about the the, the words and deeds that we put into the world and, and the ways that we view other people and the assumptions we make, the ways we make it personal, the ways that this is very human to do. We, I think we are wired to take things personally, to be all about us. I think it's more of a discipline to learn that, that um, others have their own worlds going on, um, that you know, the, the phrase hurting people hurt people, you know, it, it helps us understand when, when there's hurt that's put out there to just trace it back. There's, there, there's always a cause. There's always something, you know, that has yeah. created that for somebody else. And that's, so I, I like that example of, of um, forgiveness being just a greater understanding. It's a, when we understand why things are the way they are. Um, and if we don't understand why, things are the way they are get curious get curious there's always more yeah i actually loved the the fifth agreement even more than the four agreements and i've heard people dismiss his work um pointing to this uh idea that it's just hocus pocus like if i just have good thoughts and the world becomes a better place but i think in the midst of us talking about our intention and what that looks like and how it shows up you can see that it's not hocus pocus like you really showing up in this wisdom present sense uh, really does have a significant impact in the world. Yeah. Um, I think we struggle, right? Because I think there is this idea that is very Western of if I do something good, then something good should happen. And when we get start to get cynical about that, um, you know, you look at this karma stuff and say, well, this is ridiculous. I good thing, bad things happen to good people all the time. Bad things happen to good th- people all the time. This, this is just, you know, Hocus pocus, as you said, like this is this is nothing. But it's it, this is why it's far more complex to get into the idea of what what the Buddhists are really talking about with karma. It is not that simple. It is so complex, and you cannot just dismiss the idea that putting good in the world brings better things. If we were all living into good karma, this world would be a completely different place. Of course, it matters, right? Of course, what we do and what we put out brings better things. It's when we start looking for the guarantees. It's when we start doing what we're doing because we want something good to come to us. It's when we start doing what we're doing because we think that's what's going to bring us happiness. And when we're chasing the happiness, when we're chasing the good experience, when we're chasing that, that's when we start to get really cynical about this whole discussion of karma. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, After she got done finding my wife, uh, my wife's glasses, it this, this has a ripple effect. So her and my wife sit down and now I've made her feel at ease. Her and my wife start to hit it off. And the two of them are just laughing like crazy 10 minutes into the conversation. And you start to see the ripples of when you do this, um, you allow someone else to stop feeling their disturbance. And now they go and help someone else to feel good or to reduce their disturbance. And and this, anyway, I just, I think there's there is a... And I mean this in this most secular way, there is a magic to it all. Um, and it's beautiful. As you, you know, you two and and I, we kind of know each other and we've we've rubbed elbows and we've spent time together. As we're kind to each other, those friendships grow, right? As you make space for the other person not to do this thing just like you do. Um, 
I don't know. There's just so much good that comes out of just being good to each other and trying to build others up. Um, Anthony, to your point about forgiveness, because I know that was something that I could sense from this episode, you really felt was an important part. There was another quote here I got a little chuckle out of, which was forgive and be free, forget that you have forgiven and be freer. Right. And so there's yeah. sometimes an arrogance and hey, I I've I've let that one slide. And then if you just also forget that too. And then we just get back to being human again. Um, any last thoughts here? I, I just really loved, I loved listening to this again, knowing that I was going to have to talk for uh, an hour with you two uh, on this subject. So any other thoughts here before we close it down? So I really, he, there were two stories that he told that uh, I think are worthwhile repeating here. Um, he, he talks about the story of the two Kings and the one king who is really cynical and you know he's the seeds that he is planting are are ones of being cynical and very probably binary in their thinking and so forth and and Krishna shows up as a deity and gives this king a challenge would you go throughout your kingdom and and do your best to find one of your subjects who is truly good and this cynical king that's planting different, you know, these seeds of his karma goes out and comes back to the divinity figure and says, you know what? He said, I found a lot of people who did some good things, but in the end, you know, some things were self-serving and so forth. And so I failed you. I've not found one subject who is truly good. And the second king has a similar experience, but that king is planting seeds of probably more grace and mindfulness and that king's thinking uh, less of a black and white binary. And he goes out and he's, his task is to find one subject who is truly bad. And he interviews people and he talks to people and he comes back to the divinity figure and he says, you know what? I couldn't, I couldn't find one. Every, everyone is both good and bad. And sometimes people did things that weren't good, but they were experiencing fear in their life and that affected their being. And so I failed you. I can't, I couldn't find one subject who was truly bad. And um, I thought those were two really good stories in terms of the mindfulness with which we plant seeds that not only affect us, but affect our perception of life and how life is manifest through us and our experiences, but the impacts that we also have on others. And then the second story that he shares is of this psychiatrist that was known for the graciousness of his heart. And in his advanced age, he ends up with pretty severe dementia. And as the story goes, there were some people that decide to show up and you know, with a bottle of wine to visit, you know, to see how he's doing and how his wife is doing. And the psychiatrist opens the door. And even in the state of dementia, he says, I have no idea who you are, but whomever you are, please come in and enjoy my home. That the seeds that he planted in his life with his graciousness of heart continued on even when he couldn't recognize his friends anymore. And that as we strive to plant seeds in our hearts, um, as we notice and are mindful of the seeds that we plant, that it affects us and others, and not in a not necessarily in a transactional way, not in the oversimplified way, um, but really with more truth and beauty and goodness in our lives. 
Yeah, I love that. And I, I think, um, you know, even the, the studies, I think of Jonathan Haidt's research in The Righteous Mind of, you know, the he has the example of the elephant and the writer, the elephant being our intuitive uh subconscious processes and then the little writer on top being our our cognitive mind sometimes we think that the cognitive mind is all we are we get really lost in that as people but i think that um just in a in a neuroscience kind of a way it really backs up the story of the psychiatrist if we are laying down in the elephant um you know experience over time um our neural processes are built up in that system um, that even it, it, that to be be a good you know uh, happy person a welcoming person throughout our lives that's where our elephant is going to be going even as our cognitive mind our little writer maybe later in life or with with injury or illness takes a hit we are who we are we are so much more than just our cognitive mind and sometimes we forget that we we're, we're very cerebral. Um, so I like that that it points to the the importance of that. And then the thing that the, another thing that really hit me in this um, is is something very simple that Jack said. He talked about resting in our Buddha nature. It's a, it's a very small little phrase of resting in our Buddha nature, but I find it to be hugely impactful when I look at myself and what is my nature. You know, I think. In my upbringing in Western Christianity, the the idea of my nature tends to be fallen, broken. I need to be fixed, um, which for again a perfectionist like myself can it just takes me to really not good places, and I actually end up putting less good karma in the world than if I am really tapping into this belief and understanding of this Buddha nature. It it seems very fuzzy, but if I have this idea that my nature really is good. My nature really does want to put this good stuff out into the world. And that when I don't, it's not because I'm bad. It's because of my programming or my, you know, the things that have happened to me in my life that have clouded over. And now my ego just needs to protect myself. If I can see it in those ways and reach into the Buddha nature, um, I find myself being far more successful at reaching this than trying to beat myself up and fix myself in all of my brokenness. And and Jack said one phrase that I just loved, it really stuck with me, which is um it's a it's a I think a very healthy way of dealing with our egos. Um wisdom sees that I am nothing, love sees that I am everything. Mm. And I found that to be so profound. Love that. Mm. Um Anthony, when you were, were talking about like none of us are good or bad, and I was reminded of a conversation the other day where my son and I were talking about the Narcos, which is a TV show, but based on the drug cartel and the head guy being Pablo Escobar. And my son looks at me and goes, man, that guy is just evil. And I said, I don't know. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, he was pretty good to his kids. And if you remember, if you've if you've seen the show, he is really kind and compassionate, and kind of sits with whatever they're making mistakes on or doing really well. And I said, I think he's a better father than me. And my son thought about it for a moment. He goes, He might be, you know. And so there's this idea that none of us are good and bad. And then Jana, with your remarks, I'm just reminded that you know there's this phrase of Buddhist practice, and the idea of it being a practice, like we're we're constantly having to go like, okay, I'm going to try to be in wisdom mind right here. I'm going to try to be present right now. And 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 yet you also fall out of it. And so it's this constant work, this constant stretching of these muscles. 
And as you're pointing to, like our capacity grows as that, as we do that, um, again, I would suggest for people, this becomes almost magical. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's easy. Like there are moments that I am still feeling the disturbance at its full peak. And, and hence I'm in as much, uh, pain or hurt or sensation anyway, that, that I'm in five years earlier, but maybe I say a little less, maybe I don't lash out as quickly. And uh, suddenly these situations that had always gone a certain way in our household suddenly start changing. And I, I just think it becomes really, the good moments become fun and the hard moments after it's over, you sense that the outcome most times is better by you showing up that way. Um, yeah, I, I have a wisdom teacher who uh, who said this, um, you know, because I'm one that's always like, oh, I've, I've failed again. I'm out of my, you know, mindfulness and dang it, you know, but this, this wisdom teacher framed it differently and said, isn't that wonderful? It's if you, if your mind is straying a thousand times, or if you're falling out of your mindfulness a thousand times, that's just a thousand opportunities to come back to yourself and, and just be happy that that's where you are. Mm. Amen. (laughs) Um, As always great conversation. I hope that people really, um, Really enjoy it. I'll put the uh, episode number 65 from Secular Buddhism, and I'll also put a link to the four agreements in the fifth agreement. I think those are important resources uh, for the conversation that we discussed today. Um, Janice Bangler, Anthony Miller, thank you so much for your time. You guys are just fun to wade into these waters with. Thank you. So <laughs> Likewise. Much. I feel the same. Yeah. Awesome. Have a great, uh, great second Saturday. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Mm-hmm.